The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Happy Earth Day. It's like Earth Day all week round now, isn't it? Is Earth Day the one where they turn off the lights for an hour, or is that Earth Hour? Uh, It's kind of superfluous when they've turned off the lights on the entire global economy, isn't it? We are living the Green New Deal. No jobs, no economy, no travel, no supply chain. Just sit at home and do as you're told. The UN-funded Green Climate Fund, established by the Paris Agreement, has labelled the killer coronavirus a, quote, opportunity to relaunch economies on low-emission, climate-resilient trajectories. If uh, Western economies get any more low emission, the emissions are going to be undetectable. Oh, by the way, just like the US and Canadian governments, this so-called Green Climate Fund gives money it receives to... Oh, go on, take a wild guess. Oh, yeah, that's right, China, the number one CO2 emitter on the planet with no plans to change. Happy Earth Day. Oh, and happy 94th birthday for yesterday to Queen Elizabeth II. By the grace of God, Queen of the United Kingdom, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Queen of Canada, Queen of Australia, Queen of New Zealand, Queen of Jamaica. We can't do the whole shebang or that'll be the entire show. Many happy returns, given what awaits. For the first time in Her Majesty's 68-year reign, there were no 21-gun salutes because of this Chinese virus. Too many emissions or something. So instead, courtesy of Chairman Xi, let's have a 21-kung salute. Gentlemen. April 22nd, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Stein Show Corona Copia. Everybody was Kung Flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. It was a little bit frightening. Chai comes of expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from funky Wuhan town. They were chopping bats up, they were chowing them down. It's an ancient Chinese dish, and everybody says delish. Chairman Z will book your flight, you'll be in Italy tonight And everybody starts Kung Flu dying Those jackums can't stop lying Fake test kits they're supplying The whole world they're shanghaiing There was funky Dr. Ted Truss from the funky WHO He said she is the big boss, I gotta blow. He made his bow and then he said, Hey folks, there ain't no human spread. So go hug a China man when you're out strolling in Milan. So everybody is Kung Flu spreading. It's at your sister's wedding. It's in Prince Charles's bedding. And ISIS next beheading. You're under house arrest 
Dark Fauci says it's best That you don't leave the nest He'll keep you all abreast When they stop Kung Flu fighting Achoo, 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 achoo Okay, before we get to China and the Wu flu, let's start with one of the many other fascinating news stories that unfortunately has been quarantined and self-isolated right out of the news cycle. In this case, uh, uh, the FACO Russia investigation that Washington's deep state concocted as a cover for their efforts to take out Trump. The former Aussie Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull has written his autobiography and it includes this interesting tidbit about my old friend Alexander Downer, lately Australian High Commissioner in London. Uh, according to Turnbull, when Downer went to the US Embassy there to report on his boozy night with George Papadopoulos, uh, see my big interview with George for more on that, uh, Mr. Downer did not do so with the direction or approval of the government of Australia. Um, nobody in America knows what a high commissioner is. It's a Commonwealth thing. But the, the, the point is, Alexander Downer represented the government of Australia in London. That's the only reason he was in London, living in Australian government property and going to Australia House every day. He represented the interests of the government of Australia. Yet when he went over to the US ambassador to spill the beans on Papadopoulos, he was not in any formal sense, according to the then Prime Minister representing the government of Australia, which knew nothing about it or his little trip there. So who was he representing? The Kingdom of Downer, his pals at MI6, or just someone at the CIA, FBI, whatever, using Downer to give the imprimatur of a respected foreign ally uh, to Washington's conspiracies about Trump. Oh, well. Interesting tidbit, but don't worry, the Durham report and all the rest of it seems to have been taken out by COVID-19 too, so that doesn't seem to be coming along anytime soon. To reiterate my big point on just how wrong we got the last third of a century, the Chamber of Commerce, right, assured us that giving China a big piece of the capitalist action, uh, really the biggest piece, uh, would make China more like us. Whereas, as I've said, instead, we're getting more like China. For example, free speech. Multinational corporations are now as scared of offending the Politburo as the most wretched Chinese peasant. Do you know the sportswear giant, Lululemon, or however you pronounce it? Its uh, art director, Lululemon, its art director, Trevor Fleming, came under fire for promoting a T-shirt called Bat Fried Rice, created by a Californian artist. The shirt shows a Chinese food takeout box, plus a pair of chopsticks with bat wings and the words no thank you. Immediately, the hashtag Lululemon insults China began trending on Chinese social media sites, i.e., Sites controlled by the Politburo, so who cares what they think? Uh, but they were calling for a boycott of Lululemon. So Lululemon took immediate action. Quote, the individual involved, presumably 
this Trevor Fleming guy, quote, is no longer an employee. His Instagram page has been vaporised. Here is how BBC News reported the incident. Quote, the shirt is in reference to a since-debunked myth that the outbreak began with a woman in China eating bats, unquote. That isn't actually true. Because of China's lies and its imprisonment and torture... Uh, of those on the ground in Wuhan, no one in fact can say for certain how this outbreak began. Yet even after thousands upon thousands of deaths and millions upon millions of businesses closed, many of which will never be reopened, and economic ruin inflicted to a degree unseen since the 30s, our culture of free speech is so shriveled and China-craven that we cannot even be permitted to make crude jokes about eating bats. We're losing it. We're losing it. We're losing everything. Because even after all that has happened, multinational boardrooms are scared they might lose a few crappy T-shirt sales. Pathetic. We're becoming China. Uh, uh, huge elements of our business and media already China. And we're just slowly catching up to that fact. You know, if this virus uh, weren't providing a public health cover, you would look at what China's doing behind the scenes, the hoarding of medical supplies, the disruption of their opponents' supply chains, the arrest of dissidents at home, as the classic behaviour of a nation preparing for war, textbook behaviour. Maybe it is. It's just that the war they're waging is something subtler than the kind with tanks and planes. But don't even think of putting that on a T-shirt. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. You know, this feature is called your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day, but I can't help noticing we've had the Metropolitan Police, the Lancashire Police, the Bedfordshire Police, the Derbyshire Police, Northamptonshire Police, South Yorkshire Police, all of whom are English and thus are English wanker coppers of the day. True, we had a Quebecois wanker copper on Sir John A. Macdonald, a British subject, I was born a British subject, I shall die principles. But if we're going to keep calling it Brit wanker copper then at least the Scots, Welsh and Northern Irish have to start doing their fair share too. And God knows the Scottish police are at least as wanker-infested as the English. Nevertheless, our first Celtic wankers are from John Bull's other island. And for once, it's not just some twerp constables trying to force you out of your garden and back into the house or kicking down your door to see if you've invited granny round for Sammy's dat tea. The burgers of Belfast are quite happy to stay home as long as they can get a decent beer. And that doesn't mean a bottle or a can, but a proper pint properly pulled with a nice head on it. Like every other pub, the Hatfield House is closed until further notice. So rather than lay everybody off, they came up with the idea of offering a Guinness on Wheels service. We've been run a contact-free food and beverage delivery service uh, from the 18th of March. Here's how it works. You order with your credit card and Hatfield House sends round the beer truck, the mobile barman 
uh, pulls the pint off the back of the truck, wearing latex gloves and all the rest of it. He knocks on your door and then leaves the freshly pulled Guinness on your doorstep. Give the door a wrap. Give it a run away um, and give you a wave from, from the end of the driveway, you know, well outside a two metre distance. The reaction has been over, unbelievable um, in terms of uh, the, the depth of feeling and stuff. Um, apart, apart from anything, I, w I wish I'd come up with this idea before before the COVID-19 crisis and you know going out there and seeing those smiles and stuff especially at a time like this you know it, 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 it's amazing like it, it really is like it, it's, it's really touching and you know probably have to say a, a massive thank you to to the people of Belfast for you know giving giving me and my staff uh, the chance to to be a part of those reactions because they, re they really have been like beautiful that's Richard Keenan, uh, the general manager uh, at the legendary Hatfield House, as you'll know if you've ever been for a drink there on uh, Ormo Road. And he was uh, getting terrific press for his Guinness to go across the sectarian divide, east and west Belfast, north and south of the border, across the water on the mainland. And when they saw all that terrific press, what did the wankers of the police service of Northern Ireland do? They told him he's in breach of the licensing laws. The pub ran this by its solicitors before they started the service, uh, and uh, my learned friend said they're fully compliant with the law. Mr. Keenan has asked the coppers precisely what law is he breaking, and Belfast's wanker constabulary have refused to answer. However, they have managed to deploy two police cars to tail his beer truck on its runs. And the barmen have found this harassment uh, very troubling. So Mr Keenan uh, has had to, as he says, put his pints on pause. To reiterate our basic point, if, as Boris insists, this is war, then stick it to the enemy, not your own side. If the state presumes to put entire industries out of business, it should not then further punish those people by falsely criminalising their mitigation of the economic harm done to them. Come on, PSNI wankers! What specific law is Hatfield House breaking? Uh, until you answer that, you join the despised ranks of your colleagues across the Irish Sea as Brit wanker coppers of the day. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalog to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time. Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As, or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Well, it's more of a 
Song of the Week, Midweek Extra, but we can't afford the new ident, uh, what with all the coronavirus. Our last call memorialises those who have been felled by COVID-19. But I would like to take note here of someone uh, dead of something other than the Wu flu. Because he had a big impact on my life. Uh, If you were around an American Top 40 radio station in 1965, you'll remember this because it was number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. song he more or less improvised, complete with falsetto and that orgasmic whimper at the hook, uh, at the end of a recording session in Dublin just to run out the clock. But he was an English public schoolboy, and he managed to get in on the coattails of the British invasion and get a top ten hit in America. You Turn Me On isn't exactly a blockbuster that resounds down the ages, but it wound up getting covered by Mae West, as in, is that a pistol in your pocket or are you just pleased to see me? Mae West on her rock and roll album Way Out West. Miss West recorded one song by Lennon and McCartney, one song by John Lee Hooker, one song by Bob Dylan, but two songs by Ian Whitcomb. Listen to what she substitutes uh, for young Ian's orgasmic whimper. Oh, oh, mm, oh, that's it. Mae West was 72 back then and was the oldest living singer to crack the Billboard Top 200 album chart, a record that stood for 45 years. On the strength of that song, meanwhile, Ian Whitcomb got to open for the Kinks and the Beach Boys and the Rolling Stones. And then, having proved he could rock it up with the best of them, he turned his back on that kind of music, uh, disliking the increasing pretentiousness of rock with the double concept albums with gatefold sleeves of impenetrable psychedelic lyrics and he went back to the songs he really liked and released a cover version of Al Jolson's 1916 hit Where Did Robinson Crusoe Go with Friday on Saturday Night Oh Mammy! Uh, In 1972, he published a book called After the Ball about the history of popular music going back to the early days of Tin Pan Alley in the 1880s and 1890s. And I don't want to get all mawkish and say it changed my life, but it kind of did. 
because I read it as a teenager, and until then I had read only very boring books on old songs, and this was an idiosyncratic but very vivid and gripping tale that brought those songwriters alive. And were not for stumbling across that book, I doubt, for example, that we would have had our Song of the Week department at Stein Online for the last uh, 14 years. I wish I could have thanked him for that. But our paths crossed just once, very fleetingly, at the BBC, uh, and it was just a quick handshake, and I never did. Um, Ian Whitcomb loved novelty songs like that old Jolson hit, and, and we don't really have them anymore. But then came what would prove to be Peter Sellers' final album in 1979, and its conceit of a George Formby competition. If you don't know who George Formby is, uh, I mentioned him a couple of Saturday nights back. Uh, George Formby competition with entrance playing the ukulele and uh, delivering his catchphrase. Turned out nice again. Uh, turned out nice again, isn't it? They're parking camels where the taxis used to be. At all them smart hotels, you'll see them constantly. Now, when a sheik says to the doorman, I think I'll buy this thumb. It's the doorman, not the camel, who really gets the up. They're parking camels where the taxis used to be. Which doesn't seem quite right, I think you'll all agree. Those guests who used to take a village steak so easy to digest. Where well, now they're told that bottle cold sheep size are much the best. I know it's sad, but I think you'll all agree. They're parking Near Dorchester the other day said I like this place, put it on the bill. <laughs> that song's by Gordon Reese and Ian Grant, about whom I know nothing, even though that album was produced by my old friend Ken Barnes and arranged by Pete Moore. And within a few months, Peter Sellers was dead, so he couldn't promote the song. But somewhere along the way, Ian Whitcomb heard it and decided to make it ruder. Parking camels where the taxis used to be. Now that's a very sorry sight, you must agree. In swell hotels where once the Duchess used to wave her fan, you'll see the waiter schlepping for some bugger from Iran. They're wearing bed sheets where the bowlers used to be. And Piccadilly is a public lavatory. It's true. A fat chic down at Claridge's, he nearly made me ill. I heard him say, I like this place, put it on my bill. Great Britain's got the hump, you must agree. They're parking camels where the taxis used to. They're eating sheep sides where the taxis used to. Parking camels where the taxis used to be. 
Once upon a time, you heard the Peter Sellers record played on the BBC and other radio stations, and then it just kind of went away, one of those small cultural artefacts airbrushed out of history, as is happening more and more often these days. And so for four decades, the only person keeping that song alive was Ian Whitcomb. And you've got to take your hat off to a man willing to sing lyrics like you'll see the waiter schlepping for some bugger from Iran in public. Ian Whitcomb with a song far more edgy and subversive than anything his rock contemporaries were doing. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Stein Club member Brian from Minneapolis writes, uh, Brian says, I think the quote-unquote experts have taken us all hostage. When our lives are put on the line, we're expected to trust the quote experts and not question them. The only thing the quote experts are good at is finding a way to get paid during a crisis. We need people who give a damn about getting a problem fixed instead of how they can milk the system for all it's worth and to get everyone to worship their knowledge and wisdom like a god. I wish we could call out the experts when they're wrong and let them know they're replaceable, but the damage may be done already and our faith in the educated is one that we should all evaluate now and forever knowledge is power and if you know the right knowledge and the right power uh, people who don't have that knowledge seem to be all you need to get by uh, as an expert Uh, we are in this actually first off just to go back to Uh, wishing the Queen a happy birthday. In the old days of an hereditary ruling class, there was a certain circumspection about them because they understood that they occupied their positions because of the haphazardness of uh, heredity. Um, In many ways, they were modest people because they understood that uh, there was a genetic crapshoot about the whole thing. When you have what we have now, which is an ever more tightly enclosed Uh, hermetically sealed uh, elite class, they actually do think they are the geniuses of the planet, uh, which psychologically is problematic. But more to the point, we're actually in this existential crisis because they've been the dumbest elites in history. We're in this crisis because of the experts, the experts who said, relax, outsource all our manufacturing to China. The experts who said open borders is good for the economy. The experts who talked up globalization, which is a polite term for chicomization. The experts at the WHO who turn out to be simply Beijing's public relations firm, yet are still fawned on by Lady Gaga and all the big media. And to single out a key line from Brian's letter, we need people who give a damn about getting a problem fixed, unquote. No permanent bureaucracy gets a problem fixed. Why would they? It's that line I quote from Mrs. Thatcher. Uh, If you create a government department to deal with a problem, you'll never deal with it. You'll only be managing it in perpetuity. Um, The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change... Uh, that the existence of the IPCC assures that climate change will never not be an international crisis. If Michael Mann and the rest of the gang were serious, they would have used the fact that their uh, late 20th century, early 21st century models didn't pan out to say, hey, gee, that's good news. Maybe this problem isn't as bad as we thought it was. And maybe we don't need an IPCC after all. 
when wars end, you demob the soldiers. But no expert ever wants to be demobbed. So their wars never end. Mark Stein's Last Call. As we're told, COVID-19 mostly kills off old people. But how young do you have to be to be old? Well, for 80s popsters, even the new wave is old and waving goodbye. Matthew Seligman was the bass guitarist in the Thompson Twins, named for the Tintin characters and rather more than twins. It's his bass you hear on their breakout hit of 1982. The Thompson Twins decided to downsize to a trio, if you follow that, and Mr. Seligman was laid off, but remained an in-demand bassist, playing with David Bowie and Thomas Dolby. me with science. Maybe President Trump should remake that for Dr. Deborah Burks. The summer beach party sensation, if we're ever again allowed to have beach parties. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 64, Matthew Seligman. Jermaine Grant was the head of the Israelite Church of God in Jesus Christ in Harlem. The ICGJC believes that the chosen people are not the Jews, that's just some kind of typing error, uh, but in fact black Americans who are the actual descendants of biblical Hebrews. He became better known to his followers as Chief High Priest Tazadakiah and the Holy God-Sent Comforter. He came from a short line of Holy God-Sent Comforters. It's basically just John the Baptist and him. Let's read that one more time. Verse 16, St. John 14, 16. Read. And I will pray the Father, Read on. and he shall give you another comforter. He shall give you what? Another comforter. Read on. That he may abide with you forever. Who was the first comforter? Let's not, you know, let's not let the suspense build. Let's go right to it. Let's get the book of Luke chapter 3. This is something that's a mystery in the Bible that a lot of people that do not know. That John the Baptist was the first comforter. And John the Baptist was a man. But John the Baptist wasn't just a man. He was much more than a man. He was a man and one of the few men at that time that was heavily endowed with the Spirit of God. And this is what the Comforter does. Luke chapter 3. Now in the 15th year 
of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Read on. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. Read on. And his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria and of the region of Trachonitis. Read on. And Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Come on. Ananias and, and Caiaphas being the high priest. Read on. Verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. The word of God came unto John. Read it one more time. The word of God came unto John. What happens with the comforter? The comforter hears the word of God. The comforter is taught directly by God. The word of God came unto John. Read on. The son of Zacharias. Read on. In the wilderness. Read on. And he came into all the country. The holy God sent comforter Tazadakwa ran into... Oh, sorry, I was waiting for the comforter to bark. Read on! I may have to start doing that during Andrew Lawton's promotional spots. If you like Mark Stein, read on! Unfortunately, the holy God-sent comforter ran into a spot of bother with the feds. Not over the blasphemy, they don't get into that, but because of the lavish expensing required to fund the blasphemy. Yes, Tezadakia was um, sentenced uh, Jermaine Grant is his government, 44 years old. Uh, Grant was sentenced to 18, 18 months. He's the one who goes by the name of Tezadakia. They called him the Holy Spirit Comforter. Um, very blasphemous in the mindset to believe you could be the Holy Spirit. And they had um, pretty much taken $5,342,000. Well, I'm sorry, $5,342,920 um, from their congregation, from their Hebrew congregation. And he planned on hiding that from the government, so they got him, obviously, for taxes. So he got a year and six months. Uh, it's, it's federal time, so you know there's no early release with that. That proved not to be true. The Holy God-sent comforter Tazadakia served just three months of his sentence, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 44, Germain Grant. Do you know what... Castellas are the big in Catalonia. Imaginad que vivís en una quinta planta y perdís las llaves. ¿Cómo entrar en casa? Muy sencillo. Coges a 100 personas. A castella is like a castle, tower, and Castellas are people who build uh, human towers. That gentleman there is explaining how if you live in a fifth floor apartment and you come home without your keys, you can simply get a few chums to build a human tower with you on top and climbing through the window. Josep Sala came from a long line, or maybe tall tower, of Castellas. His father, Ramon Sala, was head of the Cola de los Castellas de Vila Franca in the 1950s. When the family moved to Barcelona, Josep Sala founded the first Castell group outside its traditional homeland, the Cola de los Castellas de Barcelona. It became a huge success and its distinctive red-shirted human tower quite the tourist attraction. Human towers, or the castel, is an exciting traditional ritual found in Catalunya. Today we're enjoying it at the annual Merce Festival in Barcelona. It can be a hazardous activity, but generally nobody gets hurt. Josep Sala was a traditionalist and an innovator. As Castel building grew in popularity in Barcelona, women were permitted to participate because they're lighter. So you can go higher. You have the heavier men on the first three or so levels. And once you start getting up there, bring in the gals because they weigh less, which the first row at the bottom appreciates. 
And once you get up to seven, eight, nine levels to what they call the crown, you have little kids, six, seven or eight years old, who stand at the top and the one at the very top raises four fingers, the Catalan nationalist salute. Uh, I think uh, that would fall afoul of American health and safety rules, but fortunately the Moppets do not often fall, afoul or otherwise. It's impressive. As they climb up, they've got to be very careful about maintaining balance and keeping their poise and not falling down. The Catalans are a proud people, and this is one way they can express their cultural solidarity while at the same time competing with each other. Senor Sala started out as a kid himself on the Villafranca Tower at the Crown, or in Spanish, Corona. Thanks to the new Corona, he stands again at the Crown on an ever taller human tower of victims. Dead of COVID-19 at the age of 82, Josep Sala. That's our show for today. Do prowl around Stein online for other delights, including in print the latest of Laura's links and my thoughts on Richard Branson's many risks and rescues. Let me renew my thanks to Ian Whitcomb for a book my teenage self was fascinated by about a world I remain fascinated by. And I thank him also for taking those parked camels out on the road all these many years. He was living in California and playing gigs to la-la land liberals who must surely have been befuddled by it. Sometimes he took to preemptive poo-pooing of the song, as it were, but then he went ahead and did it anyway. Stay safe, stay free, and given that it's our earworm of the day, one more time. This is a dreadful song, but I, it's a British song, and I haven't sung anything British, but it's 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 topical song. And this is all about Britain today, and it's called They're Parking Camels Where the Taxis Used to Be. <laughs> they always start like this, don't they? It's incredible. They're parking camels where the taxis used to be Now that's a very sorry sight, you must agree In swell hotels where once the Duchess used to wave her fan You'll see the waiters schlepping for some bugger from Iran. They're wearing bed sheets where the bowlers used to be. And Piccadilly is a public lavatory. A fat shake down at Claridge's Hotel, he nearly made me ill. I heard him say, I like this place, stick it on my bill. Great Britain's got the hump, you must agree. They're parking camels where the taxis used to be. Where the 
taxis used to be. Oh, yes. Thank you. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.